0: This time, this time, this 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 time, 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 this time.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 147 of the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by powercompanyclimbing.com. I just returned home to Lander from my three-week loop, and my voice is slowly but surely recovering. You can probably hear some of the gravelly still in there. It's getting there, and I'm feeling good, and I've got a million things to do. And at least 999,000 of them I'm excited about. So, yeah, some of it's grunt work. That's just the way it goes. But I'm excited about the things that are coming. First off, we have two open spots for our Empowered seminar this December at Crux Conditioning in Chattanooga. If you haven't heard the episode about Empowered and you think you might be interested, go listen to it. It's a seminar for the self-coached climber And we are essentially helping you come up with a plan, a better plan, how to decide what to work on and how to fit that into your busy schedules. And all of our coaches will be in attendance as well as our data analyst, Dale, to talk about your assessment results and to, again, help you all build a better plan for yourself long-term. So if you're interested, there are links right there in your pocket supercomputer in the show notes. Go to those, get registered. Next announcement we've already announced the next performance climbing coach seminar. It's going to be in Ottawa. Canada. So if you're interested, especially after listening to this episode, which is with one of my colleagues for the Performance Climbing Coach seminar, then you should go get registered now. Early bird pricing is available. That's at performanceclimbingcoach.com or you can find a link right there in your pocket supercomputer in the show notes. All right, today's guest, who many of you have been waiting patiently for, some of you impatiently, is Dr. Tyler Nelson from Camp for Human Performance. Tyler is a good friend of mine and one of my colleagues at the Performance Climbing Coach Seminar, and he's built this incredible, excited following on the social media based around the data collection and... Uh, looking at research and applying it to climbing. So it's largely a science-based approach to to training for climbing and and I think it's massively valuable He's done, several episodes over on Training Beta with another colleague of mine, Neely Quinn, and there's some really great info in those, so you should go check those out. But the reason I wanted to talk to Tyler specifically was to provide some context into what he's doing, how he's using it, when he's using it. He he gets so excited that he puts so many things out there and people eat it up, as they should. But not having context can lead to, at best, not using the, the protocols, the exercises in a useful way. And at worst, I feel as if not having context for how, when, why you should use a specific exercise or protocol can be harmful. So, I really value having that context and I wanted to provide it for all of you. Of course, we get into a few other things as well. We discuss ways that you can look through the research, ways that you can parse out the better information and understand what it is that you're looking at. Um, We also go into some of the more well-established research around tendons and, and what that means for you and how to how to use that research. Now one thing I just want to keep in mind here is that pretty much all of the tendon research has been done on um, patellar tendons or you know more common injuries for people um, almost nothing on climbing uh, and finger tendons or elbows specific to, climbers anyway. Um, So there is, you know, some level of guessing when we are applying that research over to climbers. And does that mean you shouldn't do it? No, not at all. That's not at all what it means. It just means that the science isn't saying this is how it works for climbers. We as coaches are taking that information and then making educated guesses on how we believe that will affect us. So basically you have to take it all with at least a small grain of salt. Tyler and I recorded this episode while sitting at the donut distillery in Nashville, Tennessee. So big thanks to the donut distillery for having us. And if you're a donut connoisseur like we are, Those mini donuts at the Donut Distillery are amazing. Go do it. You'll thank me, I promise. One last order of business before we get into this. There was a winner on the Instagram. We chose a winner who gets uh, the Tyler Nelson Training TNT Donut shirt. You'll get a 12-pack of donuts from your local spot. You'll also get... A pack of circuit tape from us as well as our sticker pack, including our donut sticker. And you will learn who you are at the end of the show. So listen through and I will talk to you on the other side. Let's get into this.
0: I think there's enough science to be of interest. It's certainly worth trying out, and I don't know. Again, there's not really a downside, so try things and see how they respond, and then wait for science to catch up.
1: Cream usually freaks me out like that, but but on a tiny little donut, I think I can do it
0: looks less intimidating I can just chat
1: so we're sitting here at the donut distillery in Nashville Tyler went on a a donut shop searching rampage trying to find the best one and this one has not only donuts and coffee but also beer craft beers so we might just be here the entire day (laughs) we don't even have to leave
0: In the bathroom, there was an advertisement that says, buy a beer, get a three-pack of donuts for free. Oh, shit. 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., that's the happy hour special. This is either
1: the best place to drink or the worst place to drink, I'm not sure which.
0: (laughs) Either way, if you're passing through East Nashville, it's worth checking
1: out. We're going to sit here and eat donuts and talk about climbing harder. I don't know if the two go hand in hand, but I don't know that they're exclusive either
0: definitely not exclusive
1: <laughs> so you've been doing tons of first off you read a ridiculous amount of research I can't I can't even fucking fathom how you get through all the research that you read
0: I do I had a, a professor in graduate school and it's, the one thing about research is you can really get away with not having to read all the fine details of every single research paper A lot of times I will go on PubMed and search for topics that I'm interested in and look at the abstracts. And this professor always said, you can, you know, if you want to get a general idea of a concept, you can just read abstracts and you get a really good overall idea of what people are interested in. You know, so sometimes I'll do that, but I'll really narrow it down to review papers, which are definitely the most relevant and the most comprehensive.
1: So reviewing other studies.
0: Yeah, systematic review papers are experts in the field and the experts will go through and they will collect all papers on a topic and they'll read the methods and make sure they're actually of good quality and then they'll take the ones that are good and they will read those papers and they will make a statement about all of the papers that are relevant and then they'll get rid of all the garbage. So (laughs) it really does all the work for you.
1: Yeah, that's smart. When there are you know uh, people who are doing these systematic review papers do you look for things that are relevant to just rock climbing or are you looking for mostly tendon stuff what how do you decide what you're going to dig into deeper
0: just uh, really depends on what i'm interested in there's not a lot of systematic reviews on rock climbing specifically but things that are relevant to our sport that I'm interested in, like tendon health and loading is one of those things. Concentric, eccentric, and isometric types of muscle contractions are another relevant thing that's useful for training. Um, stretching is one that I'm interested in. Um, learning you know, about and teaching people about, just because that's very misunderstood. So in general, I try and find ones that are Maybe not understood very well to talk about, to teach people about more so because people understand the relevance of concentric movements like deadlifting and pull ups and all those normal movements, but right. people don't really understand how to use isometrics as a you know and that's kind of what i've been on lately interested in but eccentrics as well are very misunderstood
1: yeah yeah they kind of of became really popular in like the late 90s or something like that yeah
0: and there's always it's always changing too science is always changing and so the new systematic review papers on eccentrics are incredibly enlightening for you know, for any sports application. So it's using that information and trying to morph it into something that climbers can use too, you know, Mm -hmm. trying new things just gives Mm -hmm. us new ideas.
1: Yeah. You mentioned that there aren't many climbing papers or systematic reviews on climbing. And one of the beefs I've had with climbing research, I'm also discovering is a beef that I have with quite a bit of, research that's out there and I guess it's a a necessary thing but when the N is so small you know like a lot of climbing papers might have an N of 7 or something and I'm seeing a lot bigger um, studies that are done with just like an N of 12 or something like that so does it matter do you look at how big the, the the study was and are there any big studies on this type of stuff?
0: There's not a, not necessarily on climbing, per se. Um, some of the retrospective papers that Volker, Schoffel has done, and those guys have big cohorts of data where they use large groups of people and then right. make estimates on them, but they're not real randomized controlled trials necessarily. Right, right. But any systematic review paper that you read will do that for you. And they will pick out the ones with the larger sample size and they will try and make their best, you know, statement on those papers that have a good sample size, you know. So that's kind of why I always tell people in the courses that I teach, like, go to systematic reviews. If you're not familiar with the topic and you really want to learn about it, don't just search tendon health or stretching and performance on Google Scholar, you're going to find something that supports what you think. Right. And like, it's really easy to say, oh, this is a study says exactly what I want. This is great. But that could, you know, unless you have the skill set and knowledge base to really go through and sift through the details. Right. Like, you know, you can find anything you want. And time and patience. Yeah, yeah. And time and patience to do it. And so the systematic Mm. reviews are a really good place to start. And you could even just read the abstract and the conclusion and then some of the tables in the middle, and you could learn a ton of you know information about a topic.
1: Where are you finding these, and is there a better place than another to search for them?
0: Uh, I have a membership through the NSCA, so the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research is a, is a pretty good journal in mm-hmm. the States, and that one I, ha- I pay for that membership. Um, but there's all sorts of open access papers, which mean they're free. And so even using PubMed, you can, you know, you can limit your search to papers that are free. Right. So you can literally search for a topic and it'll bring up papers that are open access.
1: And you just add systematic review into Yeah, the, and then
0: there's also another another bar where you can do review or systematic review and that'll do the same thing. It'll narrow it down for you.
1: Cool. When you're looking through all these papers and you're, you know, you the stuff you put on Instagram gets people really excited and you're highlighting and underlining and trying to take things that you're seeing in these papers and add them into your training somehow. If you were to give me a percentage and just, I know you're just making it up off the top of your head here, but how much do you underline, look at, but then not really put into use in the real world. So how much do you read that you actually use versus that doesn't really find its way into what you're doing?
0: Quite a bit. Cause I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with understanding these topics, like especially for tendons. Like I did my master's thesis on tendon health and rehab. Yeah. So I know that, um, literature pretty good and the concepts pretty good. So when I read new things that I talk about, I usually change what I do pretty regularly like the whole stiffness protocol that I was talking about last week or the week before was a new paper that I found on adolescents talking about how to train tendon stiffness and Mm -hmm. it wasn't for finger tendons necessarily but the same principle should apply as long as we you know understand the physiology a little bit more you know so for me my backgrounds a little different than most people that will read a research paper and feel confident and comfortable just immediately starting to do it, I guess. Um, but most of the time I, you know, I usually suggest the ones that I really think are impactful and can really help us change the way we train. I mean, and this was really simple and it doesn't have to be a big change. This one was literally like a three second contraction, three second relaxation times four and then two minute rest and then times five, do that five times. And the difference really is like the intensity and understanding, the types of intensity that we need to apply when we're doing these new interventions. And that one was over 85%, you know, so being able to target a percentage of a maximum contraction and then the actual time under tension relaxation, you know, is how we can do new things in the future for climbing, you know, and try new things. And then someone will be interested to study it and then we'll do studies on it kind of thing, you know? So in general, I think research is under is kind of created by practitioners in the field trying new things you know that right. seem relevant and then people are like oh we should study that so
1: yeah that's kind of how I've felt about it for a while and I've I've spent quite a bit of time trying to put together an episode that is kind of a both a celebration and a warning about research because it's very easy to like you said just try to find your hypothesis and prove it via paper you could also just as easily find one that contradicts Uh that one you know so i've always felt like i I don't want to say that the coaches are ahead of the game or that the practitioners are ahead of the game but the researchers are generally studying things that the practitioners have found either works or doesn't, and they want to know why.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the usually the practitioners are, you know, kind of creating more interest for researchers, you know, to yeah. try new things and actually study it. But the tricky thing with mm-hmm. research is it's really time consuming and it's really expensive. Yeah. Like doing a big end study is massive time commitment. Yeah. And writing research grants for stuff like that requires a larger organization to actually throw money at it and care about it. Where in climbing yep. that will maybe change in the future in the States, in other countries it's a little more so than here, but with the Olympics, you know, maybe that stuff will start to, to come along, but having huge research papers is a gigantic undertaking.
1: Yeah. So that's totally. why
0: most of the research <laughs> that I talk about isn't climbing. It's about larger things like ball sport athletes, like most of the tendon research has been on the knee and the Achilles. You know, and they're very different than the finger flexors, but they're made of the same material. We just have to be, you know, kind of not timid, but we need to be more maybe selective with how we apply the same principles to climbing. But the only way we can do it is try and see what happens. You know, I usually try all this stuff on myself (laughs) before to make sure it like seems applicable and I'm not going to hurt someone. But yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think it's really easy with and this is something I try to be really careful of, but it's hard to put something on Instagram that you're excited about and then have people, it's very easy to take that stuff out of context, you know? And do you worry about that when you're putting all this stuff online at all, that people are going to take it out of context? Or are you just pretty sure that most of it's safe anyway and at least just as good as what we're already doing? So
0: Yeah, most of it should be... Mm equal in terms of its like intensity and risk Mm -hmm. but just a slight maybe variation on the either the velocity or the intensity or yep you know something the other thing recently that i've been talking about is like these long duration isometrics to failure right like climbers do that all the time on the wall only you're actually slapping for a hold so you're adding velocity into it so that's more risky than hanging on to something statically and people have tried this before. I know lots of climbers that have done really long extended hangboard routines. Yep. Totally, you know, and doing it because they maybe saw a benefit from it, but maybe not understanding why it would be beneficial. Yep. So for me, interested for me is my background is like very, you know, uh, biological and physiological in that sense where we can really understand why you would do that. And it actually makes quite a bit of sense in some contexts. You know, yeah. So trying to oh, trying to maybe shed light on why we do things that we've done before and yep. maybe bring those back seems relevant.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, everybody has their own bias about what works, what doesn't, what's dangerous, what's not. And I hear lots of people complain isn't necessarily the right word, but caution against a lot of the training protocols that frankly are safer than just getting on a steep woody and pulling on little plastic crimps. Yeah. You know, climbing because of exactly what you just said, there's all this intensity. We're adding in all this velocity and it's, you know, a a pretty uncontrolled movement. A lot of the time, you know, we're, we're not even exactly sure what position our body's going to end up in. And we're, We're just trying really hard, pulling on holds that are flexing, on wood that's flexing, jumping to these things. That's way less safe than hangboarding or isometric lock offs or almost any of the stuff that any of us are showing on our Instagrams.
0: Absolutely, Mm. for sure. Climbing, like even from just the last couple weeks, the temperature's been good in Salt Lake, outside bouldering, like my shoulders both are sore as hell. Yeah. I've been doing tons of training and yep. my shoulders have not been sore at all. It takes a couple days mm-hmm. trying super hard outside, getting excited, not even that many like attempts on a movement, but you're just like the excitement level is higher. You try harder. There's the velocity component, right? Like yep. we can definitely and and do exert more maximum force when we're climbing on a project because of all those factors. So the training component, you know, really is just a, in my opinion, a preparation of your tissues for being able to try harder outside, you know, is kind of what I view training as yep. it's just a, a way to make your tissues tolerant of high levels of force. So then when you go do it outside, your potential for injury is much lower.
1: Yeah. Are there any cautions that you use against looking at specific research? Are the things you steer clear of just because of your experience with it?
0: Uh, I think anything that's in a review paper, I think is totally yeah. worth reading as long as it's you know relevant to the to the sport. Um, you know, I don't like 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 you've, uh, we've already mentioned small sample sizes, small ends are no bueno. Um, it's not really worth it. If you find something that supports what you what you think right away, then you want to find the opposite. Mm -hmm. you know which is great about the review papers because they'll do that for you you know I really can't emphasize people enough to read those and some of them you have access to and some don't but most good review papers will be open access so yeah I usually caution people from finding too many things that support what they already believe and I'm trying to challenge that a little bit which is really hard to do it's hard for me to do even
1: yeah I like the idea of these review papers for that reason yeah because you're not going out there with your hypothesis in mind yeah And saying I just want to prove this you know or I want to see proof of this
0: like if there's a good review paper or multiple review papers on a topic like on isometrics there's like three or four really good ones and what they say in those papers if they're supportive of that type of intervention then it's not bullshit for sure you know maybe it's not as specific as we want for specific sport but it's definitely not bullshit where if you search something like like I always do this kind of as a joke on on uh, voodoo flossing. There's zero research on that kind of stuff. Right. So when people ask me about it, I'm like, I don't really know anything about it because there's no good there's no good um, platform for me to read about it because I have no idea. Someone just made that shit up. Right. right. So so those I usually caution away from things like that and lean people into things that have at least been studied that researchers care about.
1: Yeah, and and I appreciate that approach. You know, I. I tend toward more of a I also pay pretty close attention to the anecdotal interventions that people are coming up with using deciding that they work whatever and while voodoo floss has never really done anything for me I know lots of people who swear by it so I'm like if it yeah. if you're feeling like it works for you and you know it's it's helping then continue to do it and I've heard you say similar things like if it's if it seems to be working keep doing it yeah you know
0: absolutely there's no there's no reason if something's inexpensive and you can apply it to yourself and it doesn't rely you to be dependent on someone else in a therapeutic context totally useful in my opinion yeah but when it comes down to like giving an opinion about it as an intervention like the real answer is I really don't know if it's sure. helpful or not. You know, sure. it could be for some people, could be for not. Like, I got one of those crazy rings at the climbing symposium they gave us. The little whatever, yep. roll rings, acupuncture rings. Yep. And I played with that thing like it was going out of style. Yeah, they feel great. <laughs> I loved great. it. I was just they like feel great. rolling it around. Yeah. People were like, what, what does that thing do? I was like, oh, it could have some effect on blood flow. It definitely changes sensory perception, which yep. could be argued is really helpful for pain complaints. Mm-hmm. Same thing with flossing. So, you know, I, I think there's lots of, you know, things that people can do that I don't think are useless, um, by any means that, you know, but there's not a lot of reason to believe that they're doing a whole lot either. Right. You know, so
1: totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think it's smart that you take that approach and I appreciate that you take that approach and it's not a very just hard nosed, like, I'm going to wait until research shows that it's effective to acknowledge that it might be effective.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, people think that just because my Instagram account's like so much about isometrics, they're like, do you do anything else? I was like, sure, I do everything that everyone else does. But these are the things that people don't understand very well that I think are maybe another like... Addition to an already like you know knowledge base that people have that coaches have everyone knows how to do a weighted pull-up and knows what the benefits of a concentric weighted pull-up would be but are the are the outcomes of uh, high intensity or long duration one arm isometric to failure the same are they different like you know and then and then trying those things out I would argue in a lot of contexts there they would produce the exact same outcome sure you know, with a different type of stimulus. So having that variation is always so important for people and having Mm -hmm. lots of options is great because there's so many ways to get to the exact same goal and outcome, you know, and having more tools is never a bad thing.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, as somebody who's, who's training people and suggesting things to people, I appreciate seeing that stuff because it gives me a different, a different risk factor involved in the exercises that you know if this portion of the pull-up is aggravating your shoulder or aggravating your elbow or whatever but this portion isn't then let's work in this you know yeah. smaller range or let's do isometrics or you know whatever so i'm able to take all of those things into account and decide what's best for that individual climber you know and that's where i think it's super important you just said that you do all of the other things too and then you're experimenting with this stuff and playing with this stuff. What do you, again, I'm going to ask for a percentage off the top of your head, but how much of your Instagram, what percentage of your training shows up on there? A lot for
0: me personally. Yeah. For me personally, um, uh, because I've done lots of the other things throughout my whole life. Like I'm, more interested in applying these new things and trying them on myself to see how they work out. And really the latest thing that I've been really interested in is trying to make things as simple as possible. I probably do 10 consults a week from all over the world for people with elbow and shoulder pain. And like I can make usually, you know, above 80% of people feel really good and get out of pain by doing bar isometrics, you know, and there's, and that's not like my great idea. That's like, Science would support that, you know, and the rehab literature suggests that doing very controlled, which feels safe, which you can control <laughs> the tension, types of muscle contractions are really good for the tendon, they're really good for pain, all these things. But making it as simple as possible, so because rehab can be a real pain in the ass and there's lots of crazy things that people do that require you to know how to do all these new movements where literally cl- for climbers, if you hold your arm over your head, it's very specific to how we perform our sport we can use a bar which everyone has access to at their house or their work or their gym and then we can control those variables by either trying really hard holding on for a really long time or increasing the velocity right just be really simple and it works really well and so for me and and i you know been going through this over the summer doing all these interventions on myself to see the outcome and I've been really impressed with the outcome for myself too and have been feeling really healthy too. So I haven't, cause I've definitely done weighted pull-ups with a really high weight and it always makes my elbows sore. Right. You know, so I've been able to have a really long training cycle at, you know, 37 without getting hurt, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. which,
1: yeah, let's, let's dig into the tendon stuff a little bit. Cause I, you know, I've been following along a little bit with the, the research and I assume that your probably your sources are probably the same as mine you've probably got a lot more um and i know a lot of the stuff you've been doing comes directly from like keith Barr or ebony rio um jill cook i think so those studies that they're doing um and i think this stuff is super interesting and i'd love to find a way to really distill it down make it simple for people to understand why to use which protocols why to use which interventions just because like on the instagram it's tough to take in all the information and understand its context for sure and
0: instagram is interesting like that it's good that you bring that up because it's hard to get a comprehensive picture of something especially because my brain is pretty sporadic and you know I'll be reading something and say cool we're gonna try this today right and so there's yeah. not like a source usually for all of it well you um, can put all of
1: these things together in your head your your brain moves so damned fast that you can put all these things together and then you put it out as one video and people are automatically like this is like this is the golden egg right here. This is everything I need to do. All I'm going to do from now until I go to my project (laughs) are (laughs) 90 and 120 degree isometrics. Yeah, don't do that, people. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I just want to put it all into context because I think it's really, really useful advice. So, I just want people to understand where and when it's useful.
0: Well, the really cool thing about using and understanding the principles, why I'm such a fan of that is you can apply them to lots of different things. Like you could apply the same principles to your fingers that you would your elbows, that you would your shoulders, that you would your knee, right? In terms of getting high amounts of muscle recruitment, getting either a really long duration stretch to the tendon or really high force on the tendon or really dynamic and high velocity movement to the muscle. And so those are the three things that we really need in our sport, in any sport, to make a healthy tendon. Yeah. You know, so, and the exact same thing applies. Either you're going to try a really, really high intensity maximum effort, which would be considered an overcoming isometric, which would be a short duration, maybe three to five seconds. And that's where the
1: object you're pushing or pulling against doesn't move. Doesn't move, yep. You're just trying as hard as you can to move Just trying as
0: hard as you can, yep. And so you just pull as hard as you can. And so in that case, you're getting... A little bit of stiffness into the tendon, but you're getting a lot of recruitment in the muscles. When we hold on to something, if we're on our fingers or on a bar and we're hanging to failure as long as you possibly can, your tendon stretches the whole entire time, right. but the muscle shortens the whole entire time too. So that also is good for recruitment, but that's really good for your tendon density because the individual fibers in your tendons slide next to each other, these little units called fascicles, and then they break apart their bonds and then they grow back stronger.
1: Right, so that's the, when we're doing long duration things, we're breaking cross-links. Yeah,
0: you break the cross-links and then hopefully as long as you get enough rest and water and you know nutrition, they grow back stronger. And you'll right. create more bonds, right? And so kids that have been doing climbing their whole life have way more dense tendons than someone like myself that started climbing at 20. Right. You know, so that's kind of a very slow, long-term goal of any athlete in any tendon to get density in their tendon.
1: Right. So if if doing these long duration hangs builds density, you know, breaks down the cross links, the idea is to make them grow back stronger. But these short, higher velocity hangs create more cross links, is that right and yes. they stiffen the tendon yep. yep why use one over the other because they both sound like they're making your you stronger right why would I choose to do the short duration hangs versus the long duration hangs
0: the long duration hangs have more um, tensile load in terms of percentage than the high intensity ones would just because of the time Because you think of like a five-second versus a 30-second movement. During the 30-second, you can guarantee that you're using the whole tendon. Or during the five-second, you might be using 90%, 80% of the tendon, maybe not the whole thing. Where if we hang to failure, one of the things that's been studied is you can show that they're loading the whole tendon. And so there's this principle called hysteresis where you stretch a tendon and then as you stretch it slowly just like gets longer and longer and longer and when we do it with a high intensity we don't get as much stretch on the tendon so getting that stretch is really relevant for making sure we comprehensively engage the whole tendon and you also engage like all of the motor units too like it's very much like BFR almost when you hang to failure because you go through the whole motor unit pool as you hang on because they asynchronously contract and then eventually they're all fatigued so you're using even the small and the large ones during a movement
1: so why do the short duration hangs at all if this is if this is recruiting all the motor units if this is you know working the entire tendon why would we do the short duration duration because
0: it's more like this more like a sport where you don't have as much time to hang on right you can't hang right. on for 30 seconds before you do another move you have to train the tendon and the muscles to recruit together more efficiently so in terms of like a rehab a good example for a rehab setting is let's say you have 10 percent of your tissue injured 10 percent of your tendon <clears throat> you grab on and you pull really high intensity there's no guarantee that you're not going to use that small 10 percent that's injured during that movement. Or if you're doing like something higher velocity, there's no guarantee, it's maybe likely you will. But if you're doing a slow controlled isometric, you can be pretty sure that you're gonna use 90% of the healthy tissue. So in that context, it, you know you would use a longer duration one because you're using more of your total tendon capacity. Right. Um, and so the same principle would apply with the strength training. But density is really good for, like um, the just the health over all of your tendons and then you also want to that's why none of those are perfect by themselves you know and you need to train the muscle tendon unit to be stiff and function together and that's what a recruitment one would be like
1: okay something you just said snapped a a light bulb on in my head Um, I remember reading and tell me if this is your understanding as well I think it was Keith Barr talking about if your tendon has a you know a damaged spot essentially the way tendons work is they can distribute the load around that spot sort of like I think he described it as putting a rock in a river and then the water just flows around it so the load will distribute around the injured spot so what you're saying is those short duration loads potentially can just distribute around the injury and make and make no difference with it whereas if you do these long duration hangs you're far more likely to target the injured spot and and load it which is what tendons like they want to be loaded right so that's one of the reasons we do the long duration hangs for rehab purposes yes
0: yeah yeah because you want to the only way we can tell the tendon what to do so to speak is to get the load either of moderate and so the science on the isometrics was a 40 to 70 percent mvic which is just the max voluntary isometric contraction right percentage if you take that to failure then what we do is we change the shape of the cells that live between the individual collagen fibers Mm -hmm. which signal to the immune system back to the brain that we need better anabolic response to try and you know build healthier tendons and so the science is pretty inconclusive if it's a central core tendon injury, if we can, if those ever heal or not. Right. So even if they don't heal, then the best option we have is to maintain the health of the remaining tendon that's not injured. Sure. You know, so either way... And I was just reading a paper yesterday or the day before on biologics, on stem cell injections for tendons because those seem very promising and very cool and very high tech. And Mm -hmm. they are definitely not better than loading a tendon. Right. (laughs) The other other thing that's so cool about tendons is like there's tons of protocols. When I was in graduate school, the Alfredson protocol was the best. And that was the eccentric load protocol. But now the heavy resistance... And that's what
1: kind of became popular in the yeah, 90s, and so everyone right. says,
0: my elbow hurts, I'm doing eccentrics. And I say, great. The one thing that eccentrics, isometrics, and heavy resistance tendon loading protocols all have that are the same is the intensity. All right. of them have a high intensity. So it doesn't really matter how you do it. It's really just an intensity thing. So when it comes to, like, doing the eccentrics, I did that in grad school. It's a huge pain in the ass to, like set up and do it eccentric only and then let go and then set up an eccentric so the bar using the isometrics on the bar is just so much more simple is why i kind of cater towards that more than other protocols sure sure so but one's not necessarily better than the other i wouldn't say at the start you know
1: Eccentrics versus isometrics versus
0: heavy resistance, you know, and then you can unless they're unless it's like I'm talking about an injured client and with pain Then usually the isometrics are pretty good. That's what I was just gonna say.
1: The Ebony Rio studies talking about pain inhibition and isometrics I think are super interesting because a lot of a lot of climbers a lot of my clients will Judge how injured they are and whether they can continue climbing based on their pain level, which we already know is a, you know, wildly incorrect measure of what the injury actually is. So if I can have them do an isometric protocol and that reduces their pain, then that's a big win, number one, because I get to have them continue training and tendons like load so i'm gonna be able to help their injured tendon if i can get that pain response down a little bit so yeah
0: absolutely yeah i mean that's why people at least in my clinic insight my advice is they hurt right and that's why people spend money to go to physical therapy or any sort of interventions they want to hurt less right but yeah. the real the reality is they want healthy tissues long term But if people are paying you money to give them advice, right, they want to hurt less too. And so, you know, the isometrics have been shown to make people have more pain inhibition, which is great. And then that's just kind of icing on the cake to get them to load. But the the exact like timing for the pain inhibition too is like the 24-hour cycle. Right. You know, so like you, every you morning, it should feel it a little based better on the
1: next day. How the ne- it feels the, know, next the next day? The next day
0: in the morning before you load it, because loading, you can make, you can do anything to inhibit <clears> people's pain. That's why there's so many options out there for therapies. Like you could you know, there's you could eat donuts and have less pain. <laughs> right. And that doesn't mean that eating Which donuts do really. Often. Yeah.
1: I it really doesn't, <laughs> Maybe too often. <laughs>
0: yeah, doesn't mean that it's really literally doing that. But so I, I use I always like to educate people about that and then have them think really long term. And then the bar stuff works too because like using the flashboard outside or some sort of portable, you know, tool at the crag, like it's another way that you can just warm up your tendons really fast, you know? Yep.
1: So back to the if you've got an injured client, I just kinda wanna lay this out in a linear way here. If you've got a client that comes in with a tendon injury Correct me if I'm wrong here. If I miss a, a step here, but what you might do first—well, actually, tell me what you do first in a clinical setting. Which one was that? The pink, pink one. Donut. Okay.
0: We haven't even been talking about these donuts. I which know. Is too the, bad. <laughs>
1: the actually the the donut that's been my favorite so far. The these are little mini gourmet donuts, and <laughs> they're amazing because you can. They're just bite size. <laughs> I think my favorite so far was the cream that scared me in the beginning.
0: Yeah, it was really good. That was good. Yeah, it really was good. This one is really exciting. It's very very fruity but very sugary. The pink one.
1: Okay. That one's fruity too, the one with the orange. Yeah, I think it must be that the, fr- one.
0: Yeah, the frosting. Yeah. Yeah, so awesome. we've been sitting here enjoying these and I haven't even given the listeners. Yeah, a so chance if you hear us, I think that's just a regular glaze, maybe.
1: If you hear us chewing and <laughs> smacking our lips, <laughs> so, that's why. Sorry, yeah, got a little plate of tiny donuts here.
0: So <clears> it's <throat> like to answer that question, it depends on the location. Um, if we say elbow, let say elbow. Okay, because yeah. we've been talking about that. You know, it, it depends on what they've been doing, how much rest they've actually taken. Because the one thing that is good to bring up here is most people, when they get an injury, they say, All I've done is I've really taken back the intensity and I've increased the volume which is what science would say is the exact opposite of what you want to do. That's the opposite of what tendons want to do. Most of the time I'm like that's that you want to do the opposite of that so if it's a route climber that's like now I'm only climbing I'm doing only arc training or I'm only doing tons of Mm -hmm. easy stuff that's actually less helpful than if you were to go back bouldering so I usually have them go Mm -hmm. do like on-site level bouldering. Well let's can I just clarify that really quick?
1: Yeah. Because If I'm correct, one of the things that tendons really don't like is velocity. Yeah. Especially when they're injured. So would bouldering actually be more helpful, assuming that it's, you know, versus easy sport climbing or long arc sessions, it's more velocity?
0: That's why I have people do like the on-site level. Definitely not limit bouldering or project bouldering. Okay. Where they're trying hard, but like 80%, like, I mean, you could climb, you know, V5 pretty easily and controlled without a lot of velocity.
1: Unless so it's like, on a moon board.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you unless it's on the moon board. So, finding an intensity they can still climb that doesn't require them to do lots of big dynamic moves. And okay. I definitely tell people, avoid dynamic moves and avoid latching on very quickly. Yeah. But you can still climb because there's, I mean, taking someone out of their sport, emotionally and psychologically is really stressful and that tends to be worse on pain and it's really not worse on the tendon. You know, tendons are performance limiting injuries. They're not, they're not season ending injuries for the most part, unless maybe it's a pulley, you know, so people will notice a performance deficit more than they will notice that they can't do stuff. So having them do a little bit makes a lot of sense and then educating them why they're doing that also makes a lot of sense. Because lots of low volume climbing just dehydrates their tendons, and it's and it's not enough load to really make a change on the cellular level, so it's just not worth doing in general. And then yep. I'll have them, you know, depending on it whether they've taken time off or if they've been climbing on it still. Each case is so different, um, but then we'll you know get them on some sort of loading program where they can you know do it frequently because the the general consensus is high intensity, high frequency. You know, and so you can get the intensity in a, in a bunch of different ways that we've talked about a little bit already. Um, and then just kind of start programming from there.
1: Okay. And when we're looking to load the injured tendon, we already talked about tendons don't like velocity. They also don't like compressive loads, right? right. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to... <laughs> lengthen the tendon while we're loading it is that correct yeah. well
0: you can lengthen the tendon while you're loading <clears throat> it or you can just load it at a long muscle length as well okay so in the elbow you could and up front you could start with loading it slowly like on the bar if your chin's over the bar and you're loading eccentrically into extension yeah or you could just do a long muscle length at 120 to 140 degrees yep. and either hang to failure or try and pull hard from that position that works as well that tends to be more pain inhibitory than the lowering, um, uh, modality, but yeah, it's starting to load it like right away. And the, the other reason why I think the pull up bar works good is most people can do it multiple times per day. You know, there's a lot of reason to think that you could do it every couple hours. You could do a couple hangs and that would be okay for your tissue. Yeah. You know, and it's something that's really available that you can just grab onto something and lift your feet off the ground, you know, instead of having to go to the gym.
1: Yeah, that's something I've been using myself quite a bit. My elbow has been bugging me from chopping wood, Mm -hmm. just for whatever reason, swinging the heavy axe and chainsawing and just wrecked my right elbow. But, and and the pain is the worst part of it. Like it just it hurts like shit initially it just hurts enough that it affects my performance but if i warm up by doing some isometrics the pain drops way down really quickly and then i can try hard yeah. and i've discovered that there's some moves that will aggravate the tendon on the next day, sadly, one of the moves on one of the things I've been working on, <laughs> my project? elbow hates it. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I try that problem, the next morning, my elbow's like, what the fuck did you do? Yeah. But then there are other problems that are just as hard that don't aggravate it on. It feels better the next morning. Right. So
0: Yeah, that's the exact same thing that's happened to me on that bouldering project I'm doing right now. Hard, slopey, compression move my shoulder yep. is not like. So, I usually warm up really good. And if I'm sore, I say, cool, I got five tries and that's it. Like, yep. you know, <laughs> to get in and out as fast as I can. But when you talk about compression, when you, the other thing I usually have people avoid if we're talking about the And we're elbow not talking is,
1: about, this is one of those weird situations where the same word is being used by the researchers, by the physiologists that we use to describe climbing. So it's not, Compression, like compression climbing, this is putting a compressive load on the tendon, right? So like squeezing it, pushing it against the bone.
0: Yeah, pushing it against the bone. And the one thing that was going to bring up is I usually have people climb on 30 or 45 degree terrain Mm -hmm. if it's elbow thing because one of the compressive positions is full flexion. Right. So like I usually have people get away from vertical climbing um, or slab climbing because those... Always require lots of locking off.
1: Yep. So like the top of a pull up.
0: Yeah. Which makes people's tendons so damn sore. And so eventually the other thing is you have to understand and people do that you need to work into doing those things eventually. But up front there's no risk and there's no downside in not doing those things for a period of time until your tendon feels better. You know, you're not going to lose any strength or any range of motion or anything like that you wanna get your symptoms to subside and load your tendon in a non-painful position then work back into velocity and compressive loads and all that kind of stuff.
1: Right, right, so we start, isometrics are kinda of like the, the place to start.
0: It just makes sense, yeah.
1: Gets, you know, inhibits some of the pain and do we wanna start with long isometrics if we have what we believe is a tendon injury start with those long isometrics? Is that the way to go?
0: That's usually what I suggest, yeah. I'll usually suggest a couple day, a couple different interventions. One would be a longer, or well, usually it's like a get used to loading with two arms on sure. a bar, yep. you know, like a couple sets of five seconds, warm up. The cool thing about the bar too is all you have to do is change the hand position on the bar. And therefore you change the muscle activation pattern at the elbow Mm -hmm. so if we're because it's really hard to know exactly which tendon might be aggravated in the elbow so are we
1: are we looking
0: for the position that
1: aggravates it more
0: uh no not necessarily i would do all three positions like a prone grip uh palms away palms towards your face and then palms towards each other yeah just because that kind of gets all the major muscles across the elbow flexor because again when you have an injured tendon you want all of the muscles to be used to being recruited. So then you have a larger pattern of movement options when you're loading, right? So then mm-hmm. you have even more potential for having less pain because you have sure. more muscles that are coordinating at the same time. Um, and so I'll have them do a couple arm hangs to get warmed up really good, then try a couple one arm hangs. Um, and then you can do some long duration hangs to failure with two arms or one arm, but it really depends on how much the athlete can you know, hang and tolerate that kind of stuff if it's an elbow thing.
1: Yeah. One of the, one of the things I don't like about the go to failure is that, you know, some climbers can only hold that position for three seconds. Um, and I, I remember reading in the research, or maybe I heard Keith Barr say it somewhere that 30 seconds is kind of a, a good time. It's where most of what we're looking for has already happened and anything beyond that 30 second window roughly is just giving you really marginal gain
0: yeah the last the last paper was 30 to 45s but that okay. range but yeah somewhere yep. in that range and so in that case if someone can't hold one arm they would do two arms for 30 to 45 seconds yep. usually the range i gave her 20 to 40 seconds all right and if we need to people. add
1: assistance a uh, toe on somewhere or
0: yep that's fine or you can even just hang and load your feet on a wall or you know stand and load into your tendon yep um yeah but that's a good point um the the, and the range i think was you know it's always confusing to get the ranges but i think it was like 40 to 70 percent or 30 to 70 percent mbic which is not very high which is great because that's kind of where i was thinking for the fingers i was like man if we could train our fingers at 40% 40% effort for 30 to 45 seconds. Like that seems like a pretty good thing for the pulleys. So I've been mm-hmm. trying that a lot of myself um, and it's been pretty productive. I've been pretty excited about it in those yeah. positions that maybe are hard for people that are more stressful.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is as I look at the the research, as I watch your suggestions I see this pattern that looks a lot like how a lot of us are climbing anyway, like how we come up through climbing, where we're building up this density by hanging on a long time. We're we we we're trying to stay on the wall longer. That's kind of the everybody's general first go-to when they want to get better at climbing. Like, let's, I want to stay on the wall longer and longer and longer. And then they start moving into I want to do harder moves and more explosive moves. And so it almost follows the, the right pattern in a lot of ways to strengthen your tendons in a, a really organic, healthy way for climbing to begin with.
0: Yeah. And like we've talked about already, people already have done a lot of these things as you have, too. It's just like, but now maybe understanding why is relevant, because then we can maybe understand when we wouldn't need an intervention or would include a different type of intervention, maybe to stay healthy. Right. So we don't get because the one thing that's so hard to know is when do you switch things up and when do you because, you know, that's the downside of using. A social platform to talk about new things is—you right. get so many questions that are specific, and my answer is always like, when we went to that Ava Lopez thing, it was like, I haven't—I don't know you unless you want to talk on the phone. I really can't give you my suggestions; are very general and principle-based because, like, there's no way to know for each individual. So, you know, that's why the—I've always been a fan of like trying to have as much principle education as it is like prescriptive yep. stuff for people, which you know, it's hard to know
1: yeah totally so just let me what I want to do is maybe take a break I'm going to get another coffee we're going to eat a couple donuts and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about the more recent research on collagen is it helpful is it not what do we actually know about it um, and not not collagen but supplementing right. your collagen um, obviously collagen is helpful but supplementing it, what that looks like and what we actually know and what we don't know. Um, But before that, just really quick, while I've got people's ear, what this sort of linear idea of rehabbing a tendon should look like should be start with isometrics, get the pain down, slowly build up into tolerating more load, and then more movement, generally speaking, slower, more controlled movement, concentric, eccentric, and then moving into more plyometric, faster dynamic movement as it can tolerate it. Yep. But resting it for a long period of time is never, there's usually not an option for any minor tendon injury.
0: Yeah, no, it's usually not that helpful. Yeah. And, you know, this has been studied a ton in other sports in the knee and the, you know, ultrasounds would show that there's 15% degraded tissue maybe in a patellar tendon that's been aggravated for years. Right. But there's still 85% healthy tissue. So, most of the time they're like, load the tissue. Yep. So, in general, disuse is never a good strategy for collagen because it doesn't know what to do. Yep. Other than if you apply mechanical load to it, you know, you literally use it or lose it in the in the game of collagen health and tendon health.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that anecdotally, I've never seen anyone who had a tendon injury take a break and come back and not just... Reinjure it almost immediately and end up in the exact same place. Yeah,
0: and people are just pissed because they'll come back to climbing and it'll hurt right away. Yep. And then they're like, my tendon still hurts, and I took a month off, I'll say, well, no shit, what did you expect it right. to
1: happen? Right, you did the exact wrong <laughs> you didn't, thing you didn't, for your tendon. You didn't
0: tell it what to do, so it <clears throat> hasn't, no, and then the brain gets involved with, you know, uh, <clears throat> the last thing you did was load your tendon and it hurts, so your brain remembers that, sure. so you're just not prepared to load it again.
1: Yeah, so don't be afraid to progressively load your tendons even when they're injured they're built for load it's what they want and you know i heard ebony rio say something really interesting and i'm glad she said it was that she often is looking to bring the pain down just to a tolerable level in high level athletes because a lot of them are operating with pain of some sort almost all the time and if you can just bring it down to their normal level, then they can perform at the level that they want to perform at um, so you know the the top level athletes aren't just always staying perfectly healthy. I, I don't even like using the word healthy" for that, but they're they're operating with pain yeah. quite often, yeah. And continue to perform at a really high level so
0: yeah it's very well it's very unrealistic in general for humans to assume you know there's some really cool neuroscience books about pain mm-hmm. that i was interested in right when i was at of graduate school that talk about like until morphine was invented humans never had the idea what living a life without pain was like oh
1: sure sure
0: like back in the old days man you hurt or you drank whiskey for it you know there's like no option so they yeah. would always use these substances to try and numb it a little bit But up until, you know, the modern era where we have all these fancy medications, like it's really unrealistic to assume that you're never going to be sore. And with training, especially high-level athletes, man, you got to push them right up to their level and their limit. And if we're doing that, you're always going to get some soreness and you're always going to get some tweaks and weird things that are happening. And that's pretty normal, you know? So like as a clinician, I spend most of my time, the most valuable thing that I can do for patients is educate them like hands down better than any therapy educating them and then finding a way to load them is like pretty much all I do all day which you know going to graduate school you learn all these crazy things and I don't really do hardly any of those anymore right it's really just like education and loading people right it's like rehab 101 for the world
1: (laughs) yep cool well let's make ourselves feel better and eat some donuts and drink some coffee and we'll be back What's up, everybody? Chris here. Pardon the interruption. I'll keep this short and sweet. Since this podcast started taking off and we've been growing it, you guys have been asking how you can help out. I've got three ways for you. Number one, you can become a patron. That just means you give a monthly donation to the podcast, a dollar and up, and you get something in return. And you can check out what those rewards are at patreon.com slash power company podcast. Best of all, we'll keep it sponsor and commercial free for you. Number two, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. I know it's a pain in the ass to go to iTunes and do all that, but it really helps us out. At least that's what I'm told by the podcast powers that be. And number three, perhaps the easiest way and the best way to help us out is to share us on your social medias. Anytime you see us post up a new podcast, please share it with your friends, tag people who will really appreciate it or who need to hear the advice that we're giving. All right, thank you guys and back to the show. All right, we're back. We've eaten some donuts. I've got hot coffee ready to roll.
0: Eating all the donuts. (laughs) Yeah,
1: almost all the donuts are gone at this point (laughs) because we're fat kids and there's nothing wrong with that. You can still climb hard in that state.
0: Yeah. There's definitely nothing wrong with eating donuts. And we're going to do some more probably tomorrow and Saturday.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) I've got a birthday coming up. So (laughs) it's just going to be birthday donuts for everybody.
0: Birthday party donut sponsor, Murphy's bro.
1: And I'm hoping that some (laughs) of the people in the seminar are ashamed and won't eat their donuts because then that's more for me.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to take a poll and see who wants to participate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I just wanted to, like, collagen is kind of all the rage now, supplementing with collagen. And and I just wanted to talk a little bit about understanding why collagen is important, what its role is, really, and then the basics of what the research is saying on collagen and supplementing with it. So yeah. what's the, like, what does collagen do in the tendon?
0: Collagen essentially serves as the building blocks, as long as there's other molecules in and around it to build healthier tendons and to build more collagen. Okay. So the way that you get that really probably doesn't matter as long as you're consuming animal products. You know, mm-hmm. you're probably getting the necessary molecules to build healthy tendons still. But the supplementation thing comes about from maybe people don't have the right quantities of right. the individual amino acids that right, help we don't build the, them. like.
1: Chewy parts of steak anymore. Yeah, yeah.
0: People, especially now that the... the, Bone broth isn't... That the imprint of like the, you know, the animal imprints coming as a big thing right now. Right. In the news to have less of an imprint. So we're consuming less animal products. And that's the best way to get those. So the supplementation stuff is essentially trying to curb that. You know, but the science is very new and very in its infancy. So there definitely is no, there's some reviews on talking about collagen, but it's mostly animal models, you know, not lots of human models.
1: Yep. So tell me this about collagen. I've, I don't quite understand it. I haven't tried to really understand it. Um, I know that collagen needs to be told which direction to orient essentially like you load the tendon and the collagen lines up is that the right term to use lines up in a a specific way based on how you load the tendon right and if you aren't loading it this is another reason why loading your tendon is important the collagen becomes multi-directional and doesn't form as strong a tendon because it's not oriented in the direction of load. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tendons and ligaments are made of the same material and the, the histology classification is dense, regular connective tissue and the, the density refers to the actual protein fiber concentration. And then the regular refers to the orientation of those individual fibers. Okay. So the, the in comparison, dense irregular connective tissue is still dense in its connective tissue quantity. But the irregularity means that the fibers are going lots of different directions.
1: Now, would that be beneficial for somebody who's for anybody? Like if you're just a general person, not an athlete, is it beneficial to have multi-directional?
0: No, all all tendons and ligaments have dense, regular connective tissue. Okay. So the multi-directional, what I was getting at, is like your skin has, your skin, your dermis is made of dense, irregular connective tissue. Okay. It's designed to resist tension in lots of directions. Gotcha. Where tendons and ligaments are designed biologically to resist tension in one direction. And that's why we can get non-contact ACL injuries, someone running down a field and turning their knee, the tendon is designed to resist tension in one direction, but as soon as you add a little rotation and torque to it, it can snap in half. Right, so yeah. it's 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 very strong in terms of its. Um, load tolerance, but with that extra rotation, it can be dangerous. That's potentially why climbing outside is harder or climbing on a woody is harder than loading at a really high intensity is because you have that slight rotation in your tendon. Right. You're right. loading it in different directions. You load it with a little bit of torsion to it. And the and the pulleys as well are important for people to remember are made of pretty much the same material. The pulleys are also made of dense regular connective tissue and they are perpendicular in their orientation to the tendon of the finger flexors. Right. You know, so because people tend to, you know, maybe not think about loading your pulleys for a long, long time as well, can also stretch them and break apart the little bonds and make them stronger as well. Again, why kids that, you know, grow up climbing, their pulleys are crazy strong, they can resist more stress than someone that climbs in their 20s can, kind of thing. But yeah, the, the orientation is really matters in terms of how we load tendons. Because when you get an injury and you get scar tissue, if it's going to scar down eventually. If you don't load it in the way that it's designed to load, it's going to haphazardly lay down. Sure. For no a rhyme or reason how. Yep. Which uh, ultimately would make your tendon a little, have less compliance and less um, uh, capacity, like long-term.
1: Right. And will that, so if the collagen doesn't, line up in the direction of load does that sort of create a, a weak point in that tendon or a point at which it is more prone to injury yeah for sure okay that's
0: why the no loading is not a great idea because right. you're sitting around unless unless you have a like a grade two or three pulley injury you know it's not common for if we're talking about the fingers for climbers to get tendon injuries but right. pulley injuries is really injury. common but the whole point of immobilizing something would be so it scars down because it's really hard to load a pulley with a little bit of load without overloading it because of the actual physics behind where it lies inside right. the finger. So that those become a little more tricky, but that would be the reason to load down a pulley would be to or to immobilize it would be to scar it down to the bone. Right. Which would in that case would probably be okay. Whereas if it was a tendon you probably wouldn't want to do that. You would want to keep loading it.
1: Sure. Sure. Now, some, one thing I've been reading with collagen is that vitamin C is a really important part of the, the process of building collagen. Do most of us have, I mean, is it, I guess this is a tough question to answer, but if we just are supplementing with vitamin C, is that going to help or do most of us get enough vitamin C generally? what does that look like say we're eating lots of animal products we eat steak or you know we consume bone broth then is just general vitamin c supplementation going to be helpful or maybe not
0: most people probably get and it's hard to be nutrient deficient in america nowadays because there's even like breakfast cereals are fortified with like vitamins in them you know sure in, in general, the nutrition researchers would say it's really hard to be deficient in America. And probably, you know, the, 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 well, the upside of that is if you consume more vitamin C than you need, there's no real downside. You're just going to urinate it out. So it's not really risky in that sense. Um, the argument comes from consuming collagen and vitamin C on an empty stomach. Has to do with the hydraulic mechanism to get it into your system. So if you get something in your system on an empty stomach and it gets in your circulatory system, the only way your tendons get things in and out of them is by loading them and unloading them and creating this movement of water across the membrane that either pushes so almost like a sponge squeezing
1: it, it in, in and out. Yeah, is exactly. that right? So
0: every time you load your tendons, you push water out, and then when you release, you suck it back in. So the argument for The loading that Barr and those guys did was, you know, 30 minutes before they showed a greater quantity of these substances in the circulatory system before they loaded the tendon. And so, I mean, that's just really anecdotal. That's one of those examples where, who knows, like maybe 10, 15 years from now, we'll have really good human studies on tendon health. But right now it's kind of like, let's try it and see what happens, right? The downside is not really big. Um, so that's where that idea comes from, though, is being able to suck in the molecules necessary to build stronger tendons, in this, you know, in in the hopes that they will end up in your tendon where you want them, right? But there's no there's no good um, way to guarantee that's going to happen. Right. I guess is the way to say it.
1: Yeah. So the the protocol you're talking about that Barr and those guys did in their study was something like loading with. A collagen supplement and vitamin C, thirty minutes or so prior to a really short bout of submaximal effort exercise in that, or loading of that yep, tendon. Just tendon
0: loading, yep, just tendon strain. It doesn't have to be high. It just is literally like a warm-up routine almost yep. for your fingers, just pumping water in and mm-hmm. out of the tendon. It's pretty simple, and so I think the argument that you know, if any any supplement would do that and any vitamin C quantity would do that as well. You know, people that I talk to that have injuries, I say, you know, there's not really a lot of downside to doing that as an mm-hmm. intervention. It might help you, it <laughs> might not. Worst case scenario, you spend money that, you know, you didn't need to spend. It's not overly expensive, um, you know, buying bulk collagen yeah. and vitamin C is obviously not expensive, so... You know, I'm not conclusive in terms of saying this for sure is the sure. is going to be helpful for people, but I don't think there's really any downside either. Are you know, there like other
1: upsides to doing more frequent?
0: I there's guess. definitely upsides to loading the tendon for sure. And I'm not sure that there's more upsides for the supplementation though necessarily. Right. But for the loading, yeah, there's great use. It's just more mechanical loading, right? Mm-hmm. Like high frequency loading is always healthy for your tissues.
1: Yep. Do you see an upside to doing that type of submaximal loading, that same sort of like short almost warm up workout, you know, do it early in the day, do it late in the day, whatever, separate from your normal session? Are there other upsides to that? For
0: injured people, sure, for non-injured people, probably not as much. Like I have them do those as a warm up before they climb. I think that makes sense cuz really the whole point of warming up is blood flow and hydration of your tendon that's the only reason we need to warm up get the sliding mechanism working Mm -hmm. but in general like I would and I'm a big fan of doing multiple day types of trainings but usually my interventions at the other time during the day are of higher intensity or of longer duration sure you know not not warm up intensity necessarily
1: Yep. okay and I know, or I've heard, and I'm not sure if there's more recent research, and I know this isn't your field of specialty, but have you seen any research yet that compares collagen to just a a protein supplement? Because I know that, I've heard Keith Barr talk about, we don't really know if taking a supplemental collagen, a hydrolyzed collagen or whatever is any better than just taking a normal protein supplement or bone broth or whatever. Right,
0: right. No, I don't, that it, that science doesn't really exist that I'm aware of. Mm. So, most people, I say, you know, consume it, what's the best for you in terms of like its ease. Yep. You know, a lot of times it's just like, you know, I've been on a diet restriction for myself, so it's easier for me to just put it in my routine than having to like worry about other yep. types of methods of, you know, application. So, no, I don't think there's any good argument to suggest that one is better than the other at this point.
1: Yeah, and I think that is a, I mean, I think you just made a good argument for the taking the collagen supplement just because it's easy. Most of us have busy fucking lives and to be able to give something a real chance, you want to do it consistently. Yeah. And maybe the best way to do that is, you know, having the supplement. I do use a Gnarly's protein supplement pretty often um and I've thought about maybe I should try the same sort of protocol using orange juice or vitamin C at the same time and then going to do this little short warm up type intervention just to see experiment yeah, yeah. with that for, for sure. a couple of yeah, months yeah. and see what happens
0: absolutely <clears throat> I think the I think there's enough science to be of interest for me to where it's certainly worth trying out. And I don't know, again, there's not really a downside. So that's all, you know, what you got to do is try things and see how they, see how they respond and then wait for science to catch up. You know, like the researchers, I am so respectful of researchers because for me research, I'm so interested in it, but it's so boring to do. And they spend so much time just writing grants and finding money. And it's not that fun or like, you know, you don't, they don't get to do all the things with it that we think are so interesting, right? Which is great to have researchers that do all that work for you. So, like, Barr, that guy is so cool. And, like, they do such good work that, you know, we're excited to see what comes out. But they've come out with some new stuff because having healthy tissues is, you know, the number one cause of disability in the lower extremity is arthritis in the knee, right. you know, and rotator cuffs in the shoulder. So, if we can find ways to make our tissues healthier, that benefits everyone. That's great.
1: Yeah, and it just means we're going to be able to climb better for longer. And, you know, really that's what everybody listening to this right now is interested in. We don't care if we're in wheelchairs and yeah, yeah, no, can't walk just when we're 65 <laughs> as long as we can rock climb while we're 50.
0: People want to try hard and people want to, you know, not be in pain pretty much. And, you know, yeah. be able to go hang out that's with their you know, with their people. Cool.
1: Well, I appreciate you being, A, being willing to just say, you know, the, the research isn't the end-all, sometimes we need to experiment and try things and, you know, be willing to see what works. Um, I appreciate an evidence-informed approach. Um, but I also think that anecdote and just trying things is really, really important and is a massive part of how sports how people get better and better at sports you know so
0: absolutely if if there was an answer for anything everyone would be doing the same thing yeah
1: which uh, is not the case
0: at all there's thousands of ways to get to the same goal and having that's what's so fun about this weekend these events is the creativity that you know even from the things that I've put on Mm -hmm. Instagram people do all sorts of crazy stuff with it and I'm like wow that's actually a really good idea I've Mm -hmm. never thought about that so it's really putting things out for people to be able to practice with and use their own creativity which is really cool
1: yeah well man thanks for sharing your your psych and motivation for the science and the research and you know adding that component in as in an excited way because like you said it can be a really boring thing to think about and to consider and to apply so thanks for doing that i think it's i mean i think it's helping a lot of climbers and it's helping a lot of coaches understand better what to do with their you know the training that they're subscribing
0: yeah i'm happy happy to help for sure it's good to good to be on and chat and you know learn from all these coaches that we get a you know get we get to teach you know over these courses so yeah psyched
1: totally cool thanks man cheers Big thanks to Tyler for sitting down with me at the Donut Distillery in Nashville and again big thanks to them for having us and letting us record in there um you know it's each coach each trainer has to take a a specific role a specific stance a specific path in the way that they train and coach and while Tyler appears to take a purely scientific approach, it's not always that way. And while we appear to steer clear of that for the most part, it's not always that way. It overlaps quite a bit more than you see on the internet. And I've got, a Tyler wrote down for me what his general training looks like, the percentages of... Practice versus projecting versus what you see on Instagram as the isometrics and strength work and what it looks like in season versus out of season. And I've got that on our blog and there will be a link to that in your show notes. You can also find it at powercompanyclimbing.com. And I think it'll be really interesting for you to see that it's not 100% about the numbers. There's a lot more to it than that. Tyler had a a strong background in strength training and came into this very, very strong already, you know, able to do multiple one-arm pull-ups and that has helped him immensely. And it's also caused him to spend more time practicing than maybe... You know the the climber who moves really well but isn't as strong is so again all of this needs to be put into context and taken with at least a a small grain of salt and regardless it's radically important and i'm glad that he's out there doing it now i promised you that there was a winner from our instagram contest and that person I hope you're listening is Ross Landino Ross is USAC youth coach photographer adventurer currently in Golden Colorado so Ross shoot me an email at powercompanyclimbing@gmail.com, at and I will get you connected with Tyler and we will get all these things sent out to you so congrats and thank you guys for making that Instagram contest so exciting Don't forget to click on those links in your show notes for both empowered and for the performance climbing coach seminar, get signed up for one of those further your knowledge. If you are not already following him, you can find Tyler on the Instagrams at C4HP. That's the letter C number four letters H and P camp for human performance. Go follow him. Lots of exciting stuff on there, but keep in mind that you need some context. You can figure that out on your own if you really think about it. You know where to find us, powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find Tyler's general training schedule on there right now as we speak. You can also find us on the Facebooks and the Instagrams at powercompanyclimbing and the Pinterest if you're on there. Lots of cool pins on there. Are pins cool? I don't really know. You can search for us on the Twitters All day. All night, all the way up until that next performance climbing coach seminar in Ottawa in January. But you're not going to find us there because we don't tweet, we scream like eagles. This time to build power. This time. 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 This time
0: to build power. This time. This time to build power basis is times the bill this time to build.